Well, maybe you've been able to tell already, but there is a theme to our service this morning. We are responding to the goodness of God with gratitude and thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving week, Thanksgiving just a couple of days ago. I hope you enjoyed the time with your family. We hope you enjoyed the time with friends. We hope you enjoyed the time. Maybe many of you were traveling. Some are still traveling back today. But hopefully through that holiday, you took some time to reflect and thank God for His goodness and His grace in your life. Today, we are celebrating Thanksgiving and coming to the table to take communion. We're going to talk about what that means. I heard about a man and a wife who were on a diet in November, which means they were on a diet during Thanksgiving, which in my opinion is the absolute worst time ever to diet. If, you are, if you're on a diet, don't diet during Thanksgiving. So he and his wife decided they were going to do something very small, and they got together, and uh, she cooked everything very healthy. It was the most healthy Thanksgiving meal you could ever imagine. Instead of turkey, there was tofurkey. Have you ever heard of that before? Tofu, turkey, everything was green, everything was steamed, there was no sweet potato pie, uh, there, there was no macaroni and cheese, uh, there, there was no, anything that tasted good was not there, okay? It was the most healthy Thanksgiving dinner you could imagine. And finally, they sat down together, he looked at his wife and he said, you say the blessing, if I thank God for this, he will know that I am lying, okay? So... We have a week on the schedule every year, a week kind of, especially a day set aside to give gratitude and thanks to God. It's my favorite holiday. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I feel like it still hasn't been tainted by all the commercialism of of, uh, even Easter and Christmas and other things, but also a time to spend time with family, reflect and give thanks. And, And honestly, Thanksgiving, a day of Thanksgiving ought to exist in our lives each and every day. It ought to be yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We ought to be grateful for everything that God has given to us. First Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, In everything, listen to this now, In all circumstances give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And today from Philippians chapter 2, Verses 5 through 11, we're going to think about some things that we ought to be grateful for. Some things that we are thankful for. So find your Bibles, open to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This is not a typical Thanksgiving passage. You can find multiple places in the Psalms where we're instructed to give thanks. Multiple places throughout Scripture where we're instructed to give thanks. But here in Philippians chapter 2, we are not explicitly, overtly instructed to give thanks. But we find reasons for which we ought to be grateful. Reasons to give thanks. And so we're going to look at some reasons that we have to be grateful found in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, beginning in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And to that we say, Amen. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We ask that you would speak in the power of the Holy Spirit and transform our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Gratitude, thanksgiving, 
Many of you have heard the name Rudyard Kipling. He was a famous poet and writer. If you've ever heard his name, when I heard his name, I thought, that sounds very familiar, but I think the only reason he sounds familiar to me is because a hundred years ago or more, he wrote The Jungle Book that's been, you know, translated into movies multiple times. And so he was a very famous poet in his day, a very famous writer. Even in, in his lifetime, he was famous, made a lot of money. A reporter came up to him one day and he said, somebody's done the calculations that every word Rudyard Kipling writes is worth $100. That's how much money you make. Rudyard Kipling said, I've never heard that before. Every word that I write is worth $100. The reporter kind of cynically turned to him and took a $100 bill out of his pocket and handed it to Rudyard Kipling. He says, here you go, famous author. Give me one of those $100 words. Kipling thought for a moment. He looked at the $100 bill, folded it up, put it in his pocket, said thanks, and walked away. (laughs) I would say that thanks is really a $100 word, maybe even a million-dollar word. Showing gratitude, it's a word that's too seldom spoken, too often neglected, too rarely used to express our gratitude and thanks, not just to the Lord, but also to others, that we ought to show gratitude, thanksgiving to the Lord. And so there are a few things here in Philippians chapter 2 for which we should be grateful. Number one, we should be thankful for the incarnation We see this in verses 5 through 7. We ought never to lose the wonder of this glorious thought. God the Son existed in eternity past. The perfect, spotless Son of God. In the splendor and glory of heaven. Yet in God's infinite wisdom at the appointed time in history, Christ came to this earth to be born of a virgin willingly humbling himself, surrendering himself to the plan of salvation. The Bible says in John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ, the eternal Word of God, the living Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians chapter 2 here, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't hold on to that, but he emptied himself. How? How did Christ empty himself? What was his humility? By taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. What was the humbling experience that Christ encountered in the incarnation? It was God, the eternal Son Becoming human flesh. I mean, imagine for a moment if, if, if you decided that a human being with our intelligence, with our intellect, with our will, that l- let's just pretend that you said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to become an ant. I'm going to become a flea. Something like that is humbling in and of itself. Well, in a greater, exponentially greater way, Christ, God the Son, becoming human Form Becoming a man born of a virgin is indeed one of the most humbling things you can imagine. Now, the word incarnation does not occur anywhere in the Bible. Did you know that? But there are principles in Scripture that are explained clearly in places, and the words come up later. Like the word Trinity doesn't occur anywhere in the Bible, but you can see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit operating in Trinitarian form throughout Scripture. The word incarnation is not in the Bible, but clearly 
The idea is found here in Philippians chapter 2. The word comes from two Latin words, in, which means in, carnis, which means flesh. And it simply means that God came in the flesh. The incarnation is the act of God the Son whereby he took on human nature. Listen to me. This is important. You say, Pastor, incarnation, is that really a big deal? It's huge. It's significant. Christ, born of a virgin in human flesh, not just some semblance of God, not just some image of God, not just some emanation from God, but God the Son becoming a human. Without the incarnation, there would be no salvation. God had set up redemption in such a way that he could not just snap his fingers and say, everyone is forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So a perfect sacrifice must be offered so that we could be forgiven. And the only one able to offer a perfect sacrifice is the perfect Son of God. That's why Christ had to be born as a little baby boy. Without the incarnation, we are left alone to pay for the debt of sin on our own. But Jesus came to be born of a virgin so we would experience salvation. Grateful, thankful for the incarnation. Secondly, thankful for the crucifixion. Paul tells us that Christ was not only born of a virgin, but he was crucified on the cross for the sins of the world. And I just want to say very clearly this morning... In multiple places of Scripture, we see that Christ's sacrifice on the cross, His shedding of blood was sufficient for the entire world. God so loved the world. Nowhere in Scripture do you discover that Christ died for only a certain remnant or only a select few, but His blood was sufficient to save anyone and everyone everywhere who will come to the cross in repentance and faith. Here Paul says, Christ came, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We hear this so often that we lose the shocking nature of the death of Christ. Take a moment in your mind and just imagine the picture this morning and look to Calvary. There see the perfect, spotless, sinless Son of God, battered, bloodied, bruised, and beaten, tortured beyond anything we could ever imagine, disfigured because of His accusers and abusers, and there On the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, he bears the weight of our sin. A crown of thorns forced upon his head, nails between his hands and feet. A spear pierces his side. Grateful. How could we be grateful for something so gruesome and bloody? Grateful. How could we be grateful for such an awful sight? Because it is only through the shedding of blood where we find redemption and forgiveness. It is only through the sacrifice of Jesus that we come to observe today the pouring of blood, the breaking of flesh, that we can find salvation. Through His death, we have life. Through His sacrifice, we have salvation. Jesus cries on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. Three words in English. One word 
in the original language to telestai. It is finished, paid in full. The debt has been covered. And now we worship Him, we honor Him, we obey Him, we give Him glory. We remember His sacrifice today through the taking of the elements at the table because of His substitutionary death. Grateful for the incarnation, grateful for the crucifixion, thankful for the resurrection. If the death of Jesus Christ were the end of the story, if the Bible ended with the cross, we would be the most miserable people in all the world. If the Bible ended with the death of Christ, we would have no hope of salvation. We'd be lost in our sins. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all men, all people most to be pitied. In other words, if there's no hope of life after this life, if there's no hope of life beyond the resurrection, then we have no hope and we are to be pitied. What, what's the point? The crucifixion was Christ's perfect payment for the debt that we owed because of sin. He paid our debt. And the resurrection is like God's stamp of approval that says, payment received, no more owed. And think about that. You've had a bill before that you receive and you send it back and they will send to you a receipt and it says balance zero. Nothing more is owed. The resurrection is the proof that God the Father accepted the perfect sacrifice of the Son of the cross so that those who come to faith and repentance in Christ Jesus can be forgiven. The resurrection of Christ from the dead validates everything that he said and everything the writers of scripture say about Jesus from the Old Testament all the way to the New. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. It is as if God the Father says, this is my perfect son. He paid the perfect price. I've raised him from the dead. Now we can be forgiven, redeemed, and set free. Paid in full. Payment received. The Bible says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. What is that exaltation? It is the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. That Jesus Christ is, the Bible says, the firstborn of creation and the firstborn of the resurrection. Meaning that Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave so that you and I can experience life. Imagine what we receive because Jesus is alive. If Christ were dead and in the grave, we would have no reason to come worship. But he's not like all the other teachers or all the other prophets or all the other religious leaders or all the sages through the centuries. He stands alone as King of kings and Lord of lords because he paid for our sin, conquered death, hell, and the grave, and invites us to experience his victory through faith and repentance. We are grateful, thankful for the resurrection. Finally, we are thankful for the expectation. I say the expectation because there's anticipation. It is not just what God has done. It is not just what God is doing, but it is one day what God will do. There are promises in Scripture about what God will do because what Christ has done for us, we have a hope for the future, a hope beyond this life. 
If this life is all there is, Paul says, we are hopeless people. But I want you to understand something. For the believer in Jesus Christ, this world is the closest thing to hell that you will ever experience. For those who don't know Christ, this world is the closest thing to heaven that you will ever experience. We have a hope, a promise, and a future through the resurrection. And now there is an expectation. Paul says, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There it is. Take it to the bank. One day, everyone Everywhere from every generation will kneel down and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone. Why? Because He's worthy. The perfect Son of God, born of a virgin, the incarnation, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, and one day will return in glory and with one word of His mouth defeats all of His enemies and we shall reign with Him forever and ever. It's the promise of Scripture. We can be thankful for this promise. For those who've trusted in Jesus, we get a head start on worshiping Him here and now. I have bowed before Christ. I have professed Him as Lord. I have proclaimed He is the only name that can save. And one day we will gather with the saints from every nation, tribe, and tongue around the throne. And we will say, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. So that we might proclaim His glory and His goodness. There's an expectation. We've been invited today to come to the table. We're invited as a family to come and participate. 1985, a young man named Scott McCauley was, was looking at his calendar, staring him in the face, was his first Thanksgiving ever all alone. His parents had recently divorced and nobody was talking to anybody. And He realized as a young, single male, he had nowhere to go. He figured, I'll just uh, warm up some cold turkey and maybe turn on football to stifle the silence and just kind of do this thing on my own. And then he had an idea. He said, if I'm alone on Thanksgiving, there are probably a lot of other people that are alone on Thanksgiving. So he put an ad in the paper And he invited 12 people, the first 12 to RSVP, to come to his house for Thanksgiving. 1985, he began this tradition. He was shocked, surprised, how quickly people responded. College kids that couldn't drive home for Thanksgiving because they didn't have enough money came to his place. Homeless people who just happened to see a paper on the sidewalk, found a quarter, called and RSVP'd. And showed up on Thanksgiving Day. Grandparents who'd recently been left all alone and separated. One lady paid $200 for an ambulance to take her from her home to Scott McCauley's home. And she said it was the first time she'd been out in seven years. She cried when Thanksgiving dinner was over. McCauley would have everyone write down on a sheet of paper... A small little slip of paper, what they're thankful for, and then put it in a jar, and he would read those after they left. And he says the things that he read just blew his mind. Thankful to have survived cancer this year. One 65-year-old man said, I'm thankful that my son is finally speaking to me again. All you had to do 
to get around the table with Scott McCauley, was RSVP. He's been doing it since 1985. And there are people, one man in particular says, I've been to every Thanksgiving with Scott McCauley since 1985. And for people like me who are alone in the world, this man is family. Think about that. Do you know today that God has invited you to his table? Do you know that through the cross and the resurrection, through Christ's death, through his life, God has said you can come. Everyone is invited. There's no limit. All you have to do is RSVP. What does that mean? Are you a child of God? Do you know that you've repented of your sins and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Now, in a moment, we're going to come to the table. What that means is I'm going to pray in a moment and we'll have a time of invitation. I always lead in a time of invitation before we come to the table because the Bible says we've got to come with our hearts right before we come to partake of the Lord's Supper. And after our invitation, we'll invite you in an orderly manner to come take what is the bread and the juice in one of these cups. And then I'll walk you through what it means from Scripture to partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, I just need to be honest with you for a moment. This gets a little awkward, but this is not for everybody. The Bible says the Lord's Supper is for those who have repented of their sin, who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and are walking with Christ, and in right relationship with other believers. Did you know that? And so this is for those who know Christ. And and parents, especially if you've got young children that have never made a profession of faith, this is a great time to teach them. It's not for you yet. We've had to do that before. But it is for the body of Christ and the family of God to come together and remember the sacrifice of the Lord. That's what this is. Jesus says, this do in remembrance of me. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Our pastors are going to be here to receive you, to pray with you. If if you're here today and you'd say, there's never been a time in my life when I've trusted in Jesus, but I need to do that today. I want you to know that you can know Christ today. If you're watching online or wherever you are, you can just text the word respond to the number on your screen, 478-324-5402. Text the word respond. We'll tell you what it means to know Christ. Maybe today you'd say, I need to come. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I believe the Savior is Jesus. And I come repenting of my sin, trusting in Christ for salvation. You come be the Lord of my life. Is that you? Is that what you need to do? You can text the word respond. You can come talk to one of these folks that will be here to receive you. I'm going to pray. We'll stand and sing. Come to this altar. Do business with God. Whatever it is, you respond in obedience. Father, in Jesus' name we come. And only because of Jesus we come. Because of who you are and all that you've done. We worship you. And now we respond in obedience. In Christ's name, amen.